Hello and welcome once again to the weekly inebriated scriptural exegesis and source study, or WISEASS, as it's come to be called. A show in which we try to come to terms with the timeless wisdom of scripture, as found in the 1611 King James Version, which is celebrating its 400th year as one of the most popular books ever written in English. The next two segments on the show will cover the book of Deuteronomy, uh, First, the first half, and then the second half, because it was just too much to get through in one sitting. Enjoy. Tonight we're going to cover the first half of Deuteronomy. A lot of it's a rehash. A lot of it's, you know, yeah. it's right. It's the D source, right? Paul is the, the Deuteronomic yeah. author, which we believe is a separate right. author, writing hundreds of years later. Yeah. Putting together his uh, kind of authoritative compilation of the bits that really matter to him. Uh, the overview of the first four books. Which is yep. why chapters one through three in particular feel like uh, previously on the Bible. Yeah, I do, totally. Yeah, actually, a lot of it kind of seemed that way to me. Yeah, when he went back through about the Lord's going to bless you and here's your sacrifices and the Lord's going to bless you and then the Lord was pissed at you. And yeah, then... you didn't chapter nine. Thus, I fell down before the Lord forty days. Yeah, so it's always in past tense. Yeah, well, I think this is supposed to be, or this is like. I get the impression of a letter written by Moses to the people or something like. Right. Oh, okay. Here's what I did. <laughs> okay. Right. It's sort of like Moses saying, like, here's a summary of everything that really matters to Israel. Like, pay attention. Here's, here's the Cliff Notes version in case you didn't read the last four books. Right. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> we should have skipped straight to Deuteronomy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we could well, have Genesis. We I didn't see too much of that. If we would have skipped straight to Deuteronomy, though, then we, we couldn't compare and contrast the, yeah. which well, is, you know, in, in this story, we get, uh, what are they, the Anakins, or, or the sons of Anakin? Or the giants or, in the land, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are two, two sets of giants, weren't there? Yes. The, oh, who are the other ones? I'm going to have to look it up now. They both but end yeah, with imps, emims. Something like that. Yeah. The other interesting thing, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it's, in the story about the molten calf, um, they ground it up and put it in the river. When I distinctly remember a book ago, uh, <laughs> they were they were made to eat it. Yeah, yeah, they ground uh, it up and then had. To maybe drink. when God wasn't looking, they put it in the river. Yeah, so God oh, yeah, was looking. Yeah, yeah, like, it's like when you give your two year old you give your two year old the peas, and he, he you know he looks around, and sees if we're looking, and hands them to the dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like that. Like, yeah, Moses made us eat them. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> I like that. That's, you guys could be apologists. This is fun. <laughs> well, they. I mean, I don't know how. Uh, what kind of is is gold poisonous to eat? Maybe not, because you can eat metal. No, boys, okay, but... uh, gold. Um, Molten gold sounds pretty dangerous. Gold does, generally doesn't interact uh, with anything. It doesn't combine to, yeah, to form. That's why it's valuable. <laughs> yeah, and it's not uh, toxic in right. the way that mercury is toxic. It it basically would just pass through your stool. Uh, I see. Yeah, so we could test that awesome. out if you want. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, cool. We'll test the Bible. But you're right, Paul, that, that, that is why it's so valuable. It doesn't oxidize. It doesn't interact. It's really and it's malleable. And it's malleable. And, you can, and women like it. And that's really what money's all about. That's right. <laughs> Keeping them interested. <laughs> That's the neo-Darwinian synthesis in a nutshell. <laughs> in chapter four, sorry, we, one through three was kind of the previously on the Torah. Uh, we got 
there was a really horrible verse, I think, in chapter two, and another one in chapter three. I think it was around twenty nine. Well, yeah, thirty. Was, yeah, chapter two, was verse thirty. Harden the king. Yes. The, yes. Yes. Yeah. Where uh, they harden the king's spirit, or where the Lord hardened his spirit, yeah. and it made uh, his heart obstinate. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then because of that, then they went and they smote him and his sons and all of his people and took all of his cities and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. Which that, just, that is uh, hardcore genocide right there. It's a happy right. ending for all. <laughs> they did They did take the cattle. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, the, right. That's the next verse. Uh, 35, right, they right. took the cattle. Uh, and then they do that again in, in 3. Uh, in four, in three, in three six, they uh, right. Is that a different? Um, is that describing oh. the same genocide? Because it says Sihon in both places. Sihon, king of Heshbon. And three, it says, uh, what is it? Og or Ug, also yeah. king of Bashan, and all of his people. Uh, I thought Sihon was the king of the Amorites, and then. This is Heshbon. This three sixties king of Heshbon. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So perhaps it is just a rehash. Although I don't know, it says all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. But well, I, I think we can say that generally the point here is uh, utterly destroy the men, the women, the children, keep the cattle. Yeah. So there's nothing about keeping the virgins alive for yourselves. So in a way. They've they've improved. I mean, they used to also uh, keep the the young women for sex slavery. So at least they've moved past that. Unless they're screwing the cattle. <laughs> no, that that's also against the rules. Right, we've had a rule about that already. Indeed. But it means what we also discovered is that that means someone was actually doing it. Somebody was stripping the cattle that wouldn't need right. to make a rule. So. So we got some genocide here early on in the book. Right. And then in chapter 4, I had a note, but I'm having trouble finding it again, uh, where heart and soul was referenced, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, there's something I want to mention right up front in chapter 1, which I'm not sure if we talked about before. It's the idea that uh, there's a generation that, that wanders in the wilderness, and then there's another generation that makes it into the promised land. And that's in that's in chapter 1, 34 and 35. Yes. There's a... Hmm. Uh, in, in verse 35, it, none of the men of this generation will see the, the the good land, the promised land. So it's the next generation that makes it the promised land. And then there's an exception for uh, Caleb and um, Joshua, the son of Nun. Caleb ben Ifune and, and Joshua, who, you know, were great, brave men. Unafraid of the giants, as it were. So I thought that was an interesting distinction that that you know that that the the, the generation of the wilderness is, is by divine design has to all perish in the wilderness. And they're evil. Well, yeah, they're, a, they're evil. these men of this evil. Well, yeah, we think so. They're obviously but... evil because they, you know, they have sex with Moabites. That's terrible. That's awful. I I thought uh, in thirty nine, I thought it was interesting about the little ones. Um, that which in this day had no knowledge between good and evil. Uh, doesn't that kind of contradict original sin? Maybe I don't know. I guess maybe you can have original sin 
uh, and not have knowledge of it. I guess that. No, original sin is a it's a later uh, Christian gloss on the the Hebrew scriptures. It doesn't exist in this book. Well, I understand that, but I just when I read that, I was like, wait, I thought children were supposed to. It was interesting for me to read something in the Bible that said that children, which were effectively innocent, uh, and so therefore didn't have any of this, you know, because that's basically what he's saying is that these children didn't have the the fear of the giants and the people of the land, and so they were actually going to get to see the promised land versus everybody else in the wilderness. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting concept because that was definitely not what I was taught being raised Christian, but anyways... That's all. The, the liberal theologians like to make these all like moral fables. What's the moral of this part of the story? <clears throat> that like God, God will bless your children in spite of you, or you know what, what's going on there? Don't, don't complain. <laughs> yeah, right. If all you have to eat is manna, then just suck it up, dude. <laughs> At least God's giving you something. Right. He could have just left you out there to die if it wasn't for those Egyptians. I think the moral is that God is jealous. That's what I keep seeing here. He is a spiteful bastard in this book, isn't he? It yeah. says that a lot. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I I uh, made a note that uh, you know at least they're honest. Like chapter four, verse twenty-four is complete honesty. God is jealous. Or, uh, in that that one verse, I am jealousy. I'm like, well, you know, today we'd probably gloss over that and say God is good, and all good, and wonderful. If you were perfect like absolutely perfect in every way would would you care whether people worshiped you or not would you need like little primitive people to worship you right I mean, so i don't even think Jews, tom cruise needs that you know and he's <laughs> not that perfect but perfect enough that he doesn't feel the need for the adulation of primitive tribes and these guys understood that they're like well i mean there's gotta be some reason why he cares about us and he, he's mad at us for doing these little little things that shouldn't anger anybody this whole part of the Bible, when he keeps talking about how he's jealous, and every time you you go after the Baals or you know the, the the gods of other nations, it makes a lot of sense in light of a mimetic theory, which is the ideas get passed on that have certain qualities to them, qualities of like severe exclusivity, for example. You know, right. the, the the people who who practice sort of a polytheistic New Age, like do whatever you want. They're not the ones that pass on their ideas. The people who pass on their ideas are the ones who say, just these ideas. Just this set of ideas. That's what has to be passed on. Just Yahweh, you know, El Shaddai, uh, whatever the, you know, the name is of this, this deity. That's the one that you have to worship. And you pass on that idea, that meme. Don't, don't let any of the other memes contaminate. You have to just go with this one idea. It's very focused. Yeah, it makes the message very clear. Right. Yeah, so it's gonna say it, it. It makes sense to me that this is the group of people that sort of prevailed in the. Uh, I mean, of of all the religions that grew out of the ancient Near East, the only ones that we really know about to this day um, that have any adherence are this and Zoroastrianism. You know, both of which have a sort of hardcore monotheism to them. Chapter four, verse eight. And it says, And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Mm. Let me think, wow, this must have been a really shitty time in the world. If <laughs> These are really great statutes and laws for these people. Yeah, it, it, This is fantastic. Is, is it just because it fits them or it's good for the men? or 
because I mean, these it seems to me like it could terrible. be improved upon. Yeah, exactly. Pretty cynical. easily, you know, easily. <laughs> like putting well, maybe, maybe a prohibition of rape would be nice. Maybe a prohibition of slavery. It'd be okay for me. Yeah, that might make it slightly better. Yeah. Um, no, I'm with you. <laughs> maybe something about not taking the virgins alive for yourselves while you're <laughs> committing massive genocide. Uh, right. Maybe a prohibition on genocide would be nice. Well, well they did start. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> Genocide, why is that good? Um, I thought, I guess, moving on in, was it in chapter 6 or 7 where they go, where he's describing about how God's going to raise up the nation of Israel, and not because they were a big nation, but because they were uh, this small. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting, that it was laying out this whole underdog story that, you know, these these were the people that God picks. And, uh, I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting. We love a good underdog story, don't we? It's very right. similar to what Jesus was saying, you know? Exactly, yeah. It oh, seems the first shall be last, a... the last shall be first sort of thing? Yeah. yeah. Right. Meek shall inherit the earth, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, while we're in chapter 6 or thereabouts, I have to mention um, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That part, six, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, gets a lot of play to this day. It's one of the things that uh, I saw um, in, enchant, enchanted. Uh, what's the <laughs> term? Incantation. In, in, in oh. It's one of the things that they say at every messianic uh, service that I ever went to. It's the centerpiece of morning and evening Jewish prayer services. That's why it sounds so familiar. And it encapsulates the monotheistic essence of Judaism. How does it square with Trinitarianism? Not very well. <laughs> and uh, so, so we've got these people, these Jews, who've been around for thousands of years in Christianity now. And <laughs> there might be a, a good reason that every single service they chant, The Lord thy God, the Lord is one. One. <laughs> Just one. Right. Let me, not three. Let me make this clear. Not God in three persons. So I just thought I'd point out the centrality of those verses. Moving on. Indeed. Um, I guess in 13 is where we get the, the fearing the Lord and serving him. I'm sorry, in, in Deuteronomy 6.13, not chapter 13. Uh, and then another mention of him being jealous. Yep. There's something else. I had a note in here about being mighty and terrible, but I'm not able to find it at this moment. He, he does a lot of bragging in this book. Right. Not, not only is he jealous, but he's mighty and terrible and he smites all of his enemies. I mean, you get the sense that he's sort of an insecure dude. Sort of a, you know... Well, you think I can't that, take you? I can take you. Yeah, Watch yeah this. he kind of puffs out his chest and struts <laughs> about. I mean, he really feels like the consummate douchebag. <laughs> Just look at me. I'm a badass. You know you want me, ladies. <laughs> I think in chapter 13 he shows that he is not in uh, favor of the First Amendment. So destroy chapter 13. Uh, yeah, I have it down my notes. I, I was listening to it, but destroy oh, oh. other gods and other people who ask to pray to them with you. Yeah, come to think of it, I've highlighted verses 1 through 9 of chapter 13. Because uh, it goes, it flies right in the face of the First Amendment. It basically says that apostasy is a capital crime. Yeah. 
if anybody comes to you and says, hey, let's go worship someone else, you will kill them. <laughs> Yourself. You will cast the first stone. I like that it actually basically says you, you'll cast the first stone. Cause that's right. Again, we have tension between the Old and New Testament here. You know what? I don't think that God would be very happy if uh, the children of Israel said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray to God, this God, but I'm going to pray in a different way. Like, I'm going to be a Methodist, and you'll be a Baptist. I know we're talking about Christianity here. Or I'm going to be Orthodox Jew, and you can be a little Jew. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would like that very much. I think he might call that – I think he might um, uh, think of you as, as swaying from his, his, his word. I'd be very jealous of that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, just saying that God had a son and that son is also a god would be enough <laughs> to violate this part of the of Deuteronomy. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that if he went up to a Jew back then and said, "Hey, you know, be fun. What if we worshipped God and then like this other guy who's a rabbi who's God's son who's also God?" And they'd be like, "Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, hold on, a second, while I cast the first stone." Let me get my good stone and stone. Yeah, just hold on a second. <laughs> hold still. Don't move your head. My stoning stone. <laughs> it has notches on it. It has and a, and a great grip. It's it's like the proverbial banana. It just fits your hand just right. I love the stone. <laughs> I love my shovel. Yeah, right. I just think that he wouldn't oh, like these wow. different factions, you know? He wouldn't like these things that that happened today. Who? God. This God. This God right here in Deuteronomy. He wouldn't he like, like factions. He likes people like breaking off and to be on the same page. Yeah, exactly. They're that's very not a clear, very, right? That's not a very good argument for his existence, considering how many factions there are. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is not... But I, w- I would definitely say, yeah, the first part... Uh, that chapter is very much of uh, 13 and, and the, the punishing of the apostates or whatever is definitely punishing with stones. Right. Right. And it, I mean, to death, it's not just stone him. It, it's definitely yeah. stone him to death and whoever yeah. accuses them, but you know, it, it was good. Uh, they did have in there that there had to be uh, more than one accuser in there. No, oh, was that not later? Until, that's not until later. Oh, okay. okay. I, I remembered hearing that and taking mental note of it, but I couldn't remember which time. Yeah, it's that was that later that... on. Okay. But this one's a lot more hasty. This is, thine hand shall be the first to put him to death. Right, right. Just toss So him. basically just start chucking rocks at him like right away. <laughs> There's nothing about witnesses or any sort of due process here. It's just, oh, you want to worship Baal Peor, do you? Hold on while I grab my stoning stone and chuck it at you really hard. I wonder if there are any mishaps. Like, that worthless shit, Baal Peor... What? You want to worship Baal Pure? No, no, it's a worthless shit! Ow! 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 That's good. That was good. That's, I wonder if that translates. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They weren't speaking English back then. Yeah. Too too many... I've, I've watched too many biblical movies. And now you've set me up to where I have to not bleep the, the word shit. Oh, I'm because sorry. Otherwise, it won't come out right. It has to be an explicit podcast now. Every single Bible podcast has been so far. That's what I thought. I thought they I apologize. Been... Yeah, well, I mean, there's so much rape and killing, and it's not our fault. It should be explicit, yeah. just in terms of the content. Genital uh, mutilation, right? Not such a good book. Sex slavery. Any case. Um, yeah. Okay. So 
story. We've actually got some on material out of this so far. I'm surprised. <laughs> right. That we've it's gone been for twenty-three minutes on the first half of Deuteronomy. <laughs> We're squeezing it out, but we are blood from a stone, <laughs> a stoning stone. Um, and then what? In fourteen, we basically get the uh, more meat or more about the eating of meat. Uh, there's yeah. an odd bit in the beginning. Sorry, where is it? The first two verses uh, left me kind of confused. Uh, uh, I think they're about mourning. Fourteen. Uh, Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Don't, don't do the, whatever the pagan rituals are for mourning. Don't do that. Right, right, right. Um, Baldness between your eyes. Don't trim your unibrow, dude. Don't yeah, do exactly. It. <laughs> I know. You measure that a sexual holy. bastard. Stop trimming that unibrow. <laughs> That's so pagan but, of you. <laughs> I've been, I have in U version, I can open up multiple versions next to each other. And the new King James, uh, says, uh, don't shave the front of, front of your head for the dead. I don't know if that's. Hey, did I it, thought that was a rhyme. Right, right. I, I thought that was kind of catchy. It's never occurred <laughs> to me to shave the front of my head, even when I'm mourning. But <laughs> shave the front of your head for the dead. Um. Anyways, timeless wisdom here. Timeless. <laughs> you may eat all clean birds. That's good. Yeah, all the clean yes. birds. Yes. Um, not the creeping things. Creeping things are still not... not Unless they're locusts. Mm, right. Locusts. <laughs> I wonder if that was just a provision for in, like, times of famine, because I mm, guess locusts mm. were somewhat common, so it was like, shit, we can't cut out locusts, because... <laughs> you know what what are they going to eat? One of the grains not growing. The, right. rash, the rationale for what's clean and what's unclean is they sort of halfway give it here. Like, well, they chew the cud, yeah. but they don't divide the hoof. And right. that's bad, because we... We prefer it when they do both. And it doesn't say why. There's no, like, well, clearly, if it chews the cud and divides the hoof, then, then it's, it, you know, it's good to go for obvious reasons of, I don't know, epidemiology or something. I mean, it just says it doesn't fit the pattern. And since it doesn't fit the pattern that we're used to, it weirds us out. He's the Lord thy God, damn it. Yeah. Do what he says. That's yeah, what but, it should but, say. But that's the thing; it doesn't say that. It almost—it's like it's trying to do like a, a, a rationale based on observation. It's sort of like pseudo scientific, which is weird. I, I'm used to them just saying "Thus saith the Lord" and leaving it at that. Wait, you—I mean, this was written, or according to the source criticism, this was written a bit after. So it could have been that the author was like, "Okay, I'm sick of people going, why can't we eat pigs? Why can't we?" You know, and so they tried that. Add another rationale, maybe add another. They they did leave in they did leave in the seething a goat in its mother's milk, so that's still pretty important. Well, that's just plain wrong, man. Right, that's, disturbing. It's one thing to boil a baby goat; it's another thing entirely to boil a baby's goat in its mother's milk. That's just pagan or some shit. That's so, have we gone over this already? But is do they do they not like eating things that are scavengers? Like they don't like the vulture, right? It was uh or raven, yeah, ravens are scavengers. I had to look up some of these words. Do you guys have to look up these words? Yeah. Yes. Do we like, <laughs> like Roebuck? Yeah. What's a Roebuck? Oh I know, Roebuck, yeah. Isn't Sears like, and Roebuck. Isn't it like a mall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think or from what I have read about it, it has to do with um like scavengers definitely not because blood is thought of as like the life or whatever. And that's the Lords and so you're not supposed to eat animals that eat 
like the blood of other animals or something like that. So and no this, leeches. Leeches are unclean. Ugh. Right. And the, I don't know why the hell you'd want to eat a leech anyways. Yeah. Um, anyway. I couldn't and, uh, find pygarg in any dictionary. Uh, sorry, that's just sort of... Pygarg, yeah. I was that's like, good... don't eat a pygarg. What the fuck is a pygarg? <laughs> I even looked in, in uh, the 1828 version of Webster's. And it wasn't in that. And it's like, dude, come on, did this did this word die out between 1611 and 1828? Give me a break here. What verse is that in? Uh, verse 5. Yeah. 14. After, after the roebuck, the fallow deer, and the wild goat. It's a pygarg. Pygarg. Chamois, or chamois, or yeah, whatever. Chammy. But, chammy. <laughs> chammy. Don't that, eat the chamois. Not ah. cheap. Um, a pygarg is Strong's H 1788. Uh, which is masculine noun, which is a kind of antelope or gazelle, perhaps a mountain goat. Ah, it's an ibex. And then ah, C. Shit. Yeah, hit you with the cut and part of the hoop. Oof. <laughs> it also says this animal may be extinct, and the exact meaning is unknown. <laughs> yeah. But the, so. There's a lot of Hebrew words like that where, like, we don't really know what it means. We're kind of guessing. Well, it was a couple of thousand years ago. Yeah, and the language has died out like twice since then or something. Which which actually kind of makes you wonder, like, if if the Lord God himself wanted to reveal his word to everyone, wouldn't he protect it in some way and not let, like, entire languages die out? That <laughs> I, I'm just saying. If, right, to leave the meaning archaic and debatable. Not just archaic, but completely obscure. Uh, I mean, some of these Hebrew words, like, there's, you know... The, They'll say euphemistically the Hebrew meaning is obscure or unclear. Right. But really, they, they don't have a clue half the time. <laughs> when, they, when they say that, I mean, they really, they're guessing. If you look at the different translations, you can tell they're guessing. Yeah. So you get the sense that maybe he inspired his word for the Hebrews, but he wasn't concerned with the English or the Latin-speaking people. So far in this book, I, I might have to agree with you. Or so far in the Bible as a whole. He, he definitely has a thing for the Hebrews. And it's yeah, not so much for the other people. So Yeah, you don't want to be one of the other ites. One of the Amalekites mm -hmm. or Moabites or other ites. They get, they kind of get it in the ass in this book. There, there's, I would say most of, if I had to sum up the first half of Deuteronomy, I would say, the, I would sum it up as, I'm the Lord thy God, and I'm a badass, and I'm going to help you <laughs> smite all of everyone that is in your land. Like I said, it's the insecure guy at the dance club. He's the guy that's like, <laughs> look at me, I'm a badass. Um, I've seen this dude. He's constantly bragging about his prowess with women. <laughs> He's saying, I will multiply you. I mean, whatever. Maybe he's psyching them all up, like... We're about to do some. That was more, yeah, really cool. Let's get excited. I, Look what we I, did. I, I definitely took this book as something that was written. I don't know. I'll have to look up like what was going on in the time period when this was written because I actually didn't, um, or whenever they think it to have been written. Because I think it could either be something where they're trying to justify and say, "Oh, look how awesome we were," and like remember it in a good light. Um, or it could be, uh, like what you were saying, like to psych them up, like, 
look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We totally have God's blessing. There's no way we can lose. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're if you're a relatively small nation caught in the crossroads between Egypt and these other powerful empires, I could see why you'd need some psyching up at this point. Right. Um, so then we get to chapter 15, which, uh, is about generosity or about taking care of the poor and, Ooh. well, a little bit. <laughs> we should have, we should have a special, like, there's I'm also thinking, thoughts about slavery. So <laughs> I'm thinking we should have a thing like up front, like from now on, like after Deuteronomy, we should have a thing where we say, I dare you to say something nice about this book, like right up front at the beginning of every show. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Right. Like, what's the nicest thing you can say about this book? Yeah, and I would we'll... pick this one. The seventh year. Yeah, was it the seventh or was it? Yeah, it was seventh. Okay, for some reason. Right, the uh, the release. Right, yep. the release. And, and evidently, yep. see, this is the thing. You get the sense that they'd already been doing this tradition of the release for a while because they say, "Oh, and don't be a bastard and like refuse to, you know, release someone <laughs> on the sixth year." Right. They'd already had I'm experience. Looking at you, George. Yeah, they'd already had experience <laughs> with the. Uh, uh, how would the economists say it? The uh, the incentives that this uh, <laughs> yeah. this release policy has brought about. Um, yeah, I, I would say the the seven year thing is probably. I can't think of anything else immediately that I really liked so far in Deuteronomy. Um, well, I guess there are the the rehashing of the Ten Commandments in there somewhere. There's some good stuff there. Apart later, I thought that he gave him the tablets. I'm like. 12 or 13 or something. No, you're going to make me look for it. Deuteronomy 10. Yes, 10. That's right. That's what right. I wrote down. But what's the Kindle location of that, you know? <laughs> I have no idea. Deuteronomy 10. <laughs> just... There. That's where it is. <laughs> it should you be able to find it by chapter and Kindle. There's a link for that. Hold on a second. Oh. Sorry. Deuteronomy 10. I'm I'm Okay, I'm in Deuteronomy 10. It doesn't say what the commandments are, does it? It just mentions them. Oh no! Well, I thought he went back over them again. We do it get. It says he wrote on the ta- tables according to the first writing. The okay, yeah, right. but he does tell you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Oh um, yeah, that's gonna be I, tricky. That's what I, that's what I was writing down. The foreskin of your heart. <laughs> Fantastic phrase there. Uh, where great. is it? Somewhere in here, he goes over them again. Um, but. I'm too lazy to find it. Okay. In chapter 10, he does say, Love, yea, oh, yeah. Uh, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Now, yeah. I don't yeah. know how they loveth the stranger most of the time. I mean, I guess when a stranger waltzes into their lands, they're nice, but I, they weren't too nice to, they didn't love Og, from what I can tell. Yeah, I think they mean the immigrant, not the foreign nations that you're invading. I see. Like right. somebody who's chosen to live among you. Um, that that is a great verse though. Ten eighteen, uh, you know, God's looking out for the yeah. fatherless and the widow, and and you're to love them as God loves them. I thought that was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. It's it's fascinating how uh, how this this book. I don't understand. Between... Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I don't understand why you know they can't translate. You know. The reason why I say love thy stranger and the widows because you're you're trying to grow your community, you know, you you're trying to strengthen your community. But 
it just seems weird that it wouldn't translate to their relations with other nations, you know? And like, hey, I'll trade with you, and uh, we'll build together a strong community. There you go, thinking like a modern-day neoliberal capitalist type. It just doesn't seem that far-fetched, but I guess. Yeah, trade is one of those things that you can afford to do once the nation-states have stabilized their boundaries and decided to respect their borders between each other and say, you know, here's where Yugoslavia ends and something else begins. They were going to try and trade with uh, Og or whatever until the Lord hardened his heart. Exactly. I mean, isn't that what they said was that they were going to use the highways and we were going to buy some meat from you and everything was going to be awesome. Yeah. And then... That's just their way of saying, it's not our fault. We we didn't go in there trying to kill everyone. That wasn't our idea. Right. We, we well, tried. Right. We tried to be, do the upright and ethical thing at first, but then you guys hardened your heart, so we had to kill y'all. It's just how we roll. <laughs> you brought it upon yourself. Yeah, totally. You, yeah. You, look what you made me do. What you made me do. So the Israelites uh, abuse their neighbors as the Lord abuses them. It's the cycle of violence <laughs> continues. The shit just flows downhill. Yep. Anyways, this has gone longer than I expected. <laughs> Chapter 16, we get to Passover again. Uh, we get, actually, I think that's basically, there's like the festivals and stuff like that. Oh, did anyone else, whenever Moses was rehashing, uh, I think it was in, in the beginning when he was talking about his, that he made Joseph, or that he made uh, generals, or not generals, like judges and uh, leaders that he appointed over the people and everything, it seemed like that he decided to do that. But I remember very distinctly, and I think in Exodus, when it was actually his father-in-law who gave him that idea. I thought that was kind of weird. There was no mention of his father-in-law. father-in-law. Well, it's and, like Abby said, uh, the hardest part of Deuteronomy is trying to figure out what sources the D author had access to. Right. Because there's no... He doesn't reference that at all when in that part of the story that was totally where he got the idea yeah um but yeah definitely i, w- I would see how that's difficult to see where these sources to try and unwind them a little bit yeah I, I don't even bother with that so much i'm glad that she does but man i can't i can't handle it right <laughs> so yeah that's pretty much 16 uh except for and then i think that's about it what happens in 17 I don't have any notes for 17, so you're going to have... Me either. Um, I do. I actually have a note for 17. That's the chapter in which they changed the procedure for stoning blasphemers and apostates ah. to from just grab the first stone you find and start killing him to we need to have witnesses. You have to inquire diligently and behold that it is true and certain, and then you start killing him. So it gets a bit better in chapter 17. Be sure. Yeah. Before you just up and kill the person who's worshipping Baal, Peor, or whomever. Uh, the sun, the moon, the, the host of heaven. You know, any of these pagan deities, what have you. Also... Wotan, Thor, <laughs> Freya, you know. Also in chapter 17 is uh, the emergence of the, of the word evil favoredness. I love that word! I'm going to have to uh, mix <laughs> this in. My bring it back, too. I say. Bring that word back. Like whenever somebody <laughs> shows up on a reality TV show, I want people to say, "Ooh, he appears to be evil favored." 
Ness. Yeah, he's he's got blemishes and what is this evil favoredness that you speak of? <laughs> it's just when yeah, you know, when somebody looks like uh, they evil favoredness. It's the it's the archaic term for falling down the ugly tree and got hit by every stick on the way down. Nice. Yeah, it's just it looks you know, sickly and nasty and stuff. Girl, you are you got some evil favoredness about you. Exactly. I'm trying to think of a good example. Snooky. Yes, yeah. She she appears to be evil favored unto me. And unto the uh people who animate South Park apparently. They see her yeah, the way I do. They, they really took it to a new level. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> it's called a Snooky. It's famous for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, seventeen that uh, they get a little bit of due process in that, it's kinda nice. They want to have witnesses and certainty before they start killing people. A little progressiveness there. Hooray. <laughs> so when you stone people, it's best to do it ethically. Right. right. But remember, if you're going to stone them, thou shalt stone them with stones. <laughs> stone them with stones. Don't, don't pick up the Nerf bricks. <laughs> don't use rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> That's tedious and hilarious. At the same time, it takes forever to stone someone to death with rabbits. And also, I should mention, rabbits apparently in this book chew the cud, which they don't, factually. Uh, but, okay, we'll just go with that. They chewed the cud. Did they? I thought they weren't allowed to eat rabbits. No, they, they can't eat rabbits. They wow. cannot eat rabbits because rabbits oh, do, they don't do chew the cud, but don't split the hoof. Right, right, right. I didn't... It turns out rabbits are chewing pellets, which is like a totally different, biologically, uh, very different procedure than chewing cud. Indeed. But, but you know, whatever. give God a break. Right? Yeah, it's not like he created these animals or anything. No. It's not like he's some sort of intelligent designer that knows how they all work. Well, it could have been that God told Moses, don't mess with those rabbits. And then Moses was writing it down and was like, why can't we mess with the rabbits again? Yeah, there's a oh, reason. I understand. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's because they have cute little bunny paws, not hooves. <laughs> In any case, that's all I got. <laughs> so next Wednesday, we'll finish off Deuteronomy. 